Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd Seminary. This podcast is dedicated to discussing issues related to scripture and theology. For more information, visit petergaiman.com. Well, a happy end of July and early August to all of you listeners out there. Today, we're going to ask the question, what is a woman? And we're going to address some of the different responses that the culture is giving us on this. So I think it'll be an exciting episode. Now, I just this week actually watched a documentary put out by The Daily Wire and Matt Walsh, which is entitled the same thing, What is a Woman? And I'm not playing off of that, although the documentary is really good. Basically, what Matt Walsh does is he goes to a variety of higher education institutions and uh, medical professionals and tries to ask them, what is a woman? And it's really kind of revealing just how a lot of people are incapable of answering that question. And so if you have time to watch that, I do encourage it. Uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that obviously Matt Walsh is Catholic. And so he's going to be coming at things very differently than I would be, but there's still some benefit to, to seeing how he even interacts with the culture and seeing how they really, uh, and when I talk about they, I'm talking about the higher education institutions, these professors at these, at these schools, they really are bankrupt when it comes to logical, moral reasoning. And it's pretty frightening, actually, to, to think that these are the people who are in charge of educating the young people uh, entrusted uh, in their care. And so I think that we're going to get a little bit of that in this episode just because as part of the process, I think it's wise to pay attention to what the culture is doing, how they're thinking. And so you might think, well, what is a woman? That's an easy answer, uh, at least from a Christian worldview. Maybe you've never struggled with what is a woman. But I think it's revealing to look at how the culture does or doesn't answer this question and then we can we can learn some things about our neighbors. We can learn some things about the the people who live next to us, the people who work with us. Uh, I think it's it's revealing and helpful to see just the degradation of the mental process that goes on. So I think this will be this will be helpful with regard to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch just a few clips. Of course, you're not going to watch. You're going to listen, and I'm going to watch and listen. And these are a couple high-profile clips that have happened uh, in Congress, of all places. And then we're going to watch just a, a question on the street where people are asked in the UK, what is a woman? But the first clip that we have is where Senator Blackburn from Tennessee, I believe, uh, it, she asks, uh, this was during the Supreme Court nomination hearings, and so you had the Supreme Court nominee, and hopefully I can say her first name correctly, Katanji, I think is how you pronounce it, Katanji Brown Jackson. Now she's seated on the Supreme Court now. So remember, this is somebody who's in charge of making decisions. And I think it's uh, pretty significant decisions. And I think it's revealing to see how she answers uh, this question about uh, whether or not she's able to define the word woman. So obviously this this made a lot of headlines, and I'm just going to play the, the one-minute clip here, and then we'll make a couple comments. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? 
can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Okay, and so that's the end of the clip. That clip was put out by USA Today, by the way. And so obviously the, the place that made a lot of headlines in this, in this interview, this question and answer, was where uh, Ketanji responds to Senator Blackburn's question and says, no, I'm not able to respond. I'm not able to provide a definition for the word woman because I'm not a biologist. And it's so ironic Right. Because the the big push in progressive cultural thought now is that a man and woman is unrelated to biology. But it's kind of interesting that in trying to trying to not answer the question, she she appealed to biology, which a lot of people picked up on. And I think rightfully showed that she's being inconsistent because she would say that it's not related to biology. She would say that it's a social social societal construct. And so there's there's some inconsistency and incongruence there. But I think it's just helpful and wise to understand that these are the people that are in charge and they are incapable of understanding. Um, or perhaps I could say that they are, in the words of Romans 1, they are suppressing the truth about God in unrighteousness. It is obvious what a woman is, and they're suppressing that because of the cultural baggage that comes along with that. So we're going to talk more about uh, the, the worldview and mindset behind this in just a moment. I'm just trying to give some examples of this. Another example came recently with regard to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And uh, in the aftermath of that decision, there was some judicial or some Senate uh, congressional hearings with regard to women's rights and how we need to be protecting them and whatever. You know, Congress does all sorts of things like that. And so this was an example where you had Senator Josh Hawley, and he was questioning a Berkeley law professor. And I think uh, it's either Kiara or Kiara Bridges. And she is a Berkeley professor. So she is viewed as top top-of-the-line education with regard to, you know, her field, which, you know, whether or not gender studies and those kinds of things are accurate fields or not remains to be seen. Uh, I have my own opinions on that, obviously. But the uh, interview, I think, is revealing as well to give kind of insight into the morality of the issue. So I'm going to jump right in here uh, and... Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before, uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Metzke, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? 
Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my us. line of questioning. Because so we can't talk about it. Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that there, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think. Men can get <laughs> so pregnant. you are denying that trans people exist, Thank and that leads to. Okay, I just have to stop that uh, right there because notice this line of reasoning and. I, I really cringe at this and, you know, I, I have a feeling I'm not alone in, in, uh, in cringing as, as we listen to this. Uh, so this, this again is, is supposed to be one of the brilliant thinkers, uh, somebody who's very helpful here. That's why they're at this hearing. And so this, this professor, uh, is, arguing rather baselessly. It's, again, cringeworthy. Uh, notice the huge, huge logical leaps here that are made. On the one hand, she's arguing that uh, it is not just females who can get pregnant. And, of course, that's utterly ridiculous. There are no males that are getting pregnant. Uh, you have to uh, be a female to get pregnant. Uh, and so... so at the outset, um, and I thought it was funny when when she asked if uh, she asked Senator Hawley if if he thought uh, um, men could get pregnant, and he said no. But then that's revealing of the typical way of thinking in our culture is that okay, you said men are are incapable of getting pregnant, therefore you say transgender people don't exist, and that's not what he was saying, and he's trying to he's trying to clarify that. I mean, we, we, we can acknowledge something as being true and factual, but it's, it's a part of the unfortunate cultural bias now where, where a lot of times, uh, people assert, uh, a logical conclusion, which is not necessary. It's not necessarily reality. Uh, people can acknowledge the fact that there is transgenderism, but the issue is what should we do about it and what, uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing, whether or not that's something that needs to be addressed, uh, especially from a biblical worldview. And I think those are good follow-up questions, but to, to say that, to say that uh, men cannot get pregnant is not obviously a denial of the existence of transgender people it is an assertion of the fact that males cannot get pregnant which is pretty pretty much reality so we'll uh, jump right in here at the at this place again and finish up her statement and that leads to violence is this how you run your classroom are students allowed to question you Absolutely. or are they also treated like this where no, you, no, no, they're, they're told that to they're question. opening up people to oh, violence we have a good time questioning. in my class you should join oh, I bet. you might learn a lot Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot just I know. in this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Yep. Uh, All right, so 
in essence, you know, it's kind of like their middle schoolers uh, talking about. It. But that's, uh, I think, the devolution of our government at this point. It's not uh, not a pretty picture, uh, to say the least. But I think that's a revealing uh, insight into into where the cultural push is. I mean, these are the elites, uh, and I'm talking about the Professor Bridges from UC Berkeley here. Um, she is you know, she, she really does think that she's on the right side of history and how, if, if you do question or ask, ask questions that are dealing with, uh, transgenderism or even women's rights, notice how this whole conversation started is that he was asking, um, if professor Bridges thought this was a woman's right issue or if what it was, if it wasn't dealing with women's and she said, your line of questioning is opening, up trans people to violence. And that's, that's a very dangerous um, game to play. And that's, you know, there, there have been lots of things written on this, how all societies that that eventually crumble are those societies where public discourse is shut down, where you are uh, labeled as the enemy, because you, you have spoken against the narrative. And so this is an important part of discussion and learning and an actual progress, if you want to use that term. And I think that uh, whenever you have a push by the progressive left of shutting down conversation, that's incredibly dangerous. And so I think we need to be aware of that. But again, I just want to point out that these are the elite circles. These are the people that make policy. These are the people that, that are asked of their opinion. And you have a Supreme Court justice and you have the law professor, actually, I, uh, I, I think I said gender studies, but it, it, this is actually a law professor uh, at Berkeley. And so I miss, uh, misspoke earlier on. And, and as, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, you know, how, how scary is that, that this is somebody who teaches law at Berkeley, you know, one of the premier institutions, and this is their, their reasoning, their illogical nature. So, you know, it's, it's, again, this is, this is one of those things where, uh, most of us are aware of this. Uh, th- these are the, these are the people who are teaching the next generation. Uh, and really I, I find it very difficult to, to think that there's any benefit for, for people going to classes like this. Okay, now that's that's at the elite level. These are the people who are the teachers. But let's let's look at the lay level, just on the street, those people that you and I would rub shoulders with. So this is a video that was put out this year by the Telegraph, the London Telegraph. And it's just an interview of people on the streets in the UK. I think most of it is in London. And it's it's kind of revealing how people how people think. Uh, through this issue. Uh, the, the question is, how would you define a woman in one sentence? That's how, how this is, this is uh, asked, and that's what's brought up. So how, how do you define a woman in one sentence? But notice how, how much people talk around the issue. So this is about a two-minute video. Uh, I might make a stop here or there to talk about it, but, but no, these, these are the average everyday people in London. Okay, so this isn't the elite. Biological definition is actually what I think is a woman. Biology determines whether you're male or female. I have a a friend who was a female and is now a male. His name is Colton. And I ask him, now that you have sort of boy parts and kind of girl parts and you go dating and you date a woman, what are you? Well, I don't know. 
So he didn't even know. Even though he's made the transition to be male, he doesn't even know what to call himself. I think being a woman, if you want to identify as a woman, then that's what you are. I, I'm not, I don't really read much that further into it, I suppose. Um, if you present yourself as a woman and you want to be called she, her, then that's what I'm going to call you. And, you know, that's down to personal choice. I suppose that's down to the individual and how they feel inside, really. I, I don't think anyone could put a label on any other person. It's not really anyone's place to do that. I think it's difficult because obviously not all women, biological females, have breasts or periods or can have children and that's kind of the biological checkbox. So you can't really pin people in you know, biological checkboxes. I think it's just whatever you whatever you want, man. I'm not going to stop yeah, you. If you it's wanna, not that deep, yeah, <laughs> If you want to be a woman, then that's fine with me. I think anyone can put themselves forward as a woman. So if you're biological from, from a biological point of view, if you were born a man, but you wish to um, present yourself as a woman, live as a woman, I think you could, yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Now this lady, I do want to stop, because you can't see this, and I don't know if you can tell when listening, but this is the same lady who was interviewed at the very beginning, and she had said at the very beginning, she was the only one who gave biology as the answer. She said, biologically, that's how you define man or woman. And I think that that's a good, uh, very good start. Uh, if you think about having an objective standard, but now here she is later in the interview, I don't know what the follow-up question was or whatever, but here she is at the same time, basically going against what she had said at the very beginning of the video. And she's saying, yeah, but if you want to put forward yourself as a, as a woman or a man, you know, I think you can, you can do that. So it's interesting. I would be interested to see the full interview because I wonder if they asked a follow-up question, which she realized was against the cultural grain to say, no, you have to, you know, you have to stay male or female, depending on your biology. I'm not sure what the situation was, but interesting how she alone was the one who gave the biology as the answer. But then here she is saying, but it doesn't really matter. Whatever you want to do, you can do. All right, we'll keep going. Best. It's down to the individual, I would say. People can do what they want to do, and people can, if they feel like a woman, then it's cool, isn't it? Uh, from my personal point of view, it's biological. I think um, you're born a woman. If you feel like you're a woman, then who's anyone to stop you from being you, you know? I believe uh, that what you're born with is what you are. Um, people have the right to change that, but uh, on the whole, I think it's how you're born. Okay. Notice how he is speaking, that gentleman there. Uh, it's it's so interesting because he, he tries to be very concrete and he says, um, in my personal opinion. So that's, that's, again, like code language for don't get mad at me because it's just my personal opinion. I'm not going to hold anyone else to this. That's basically the caveat there. So he's saying it's biology. But then again, he says, you have the right to change that. So it's interesting um, how there is there are glimpses of a semblance of what we used to call reality um, with regard to biology and understanding that. But then uh, it's like people understand the just the cultural pressure. And so they don't want to lock themselves into that. Uh, it reminds me too. speaking on that note um, in that Matt Walsh documentary, uh, they, they talk a little bit about the 
transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, who set all these records because he's a man and he's swimming in female competitions. And so he's setting all these records and doing all these things. And one of the teammates spoke to Walsh in the documentary, but they disguised her voice and they blacked her out so that you couldn't see. And and he asked her, why, why can't you... Why can't you come forward uh, publicly? And she said, well, well, I would be completely disowned by the society, blacklisted. I won't be able to get a job, et cetera. And so people do feel the pressure. And so they are very, very careful in how they talk about these things. All right, we'll finish. Uh, got uh, 30 seconds left. We know who women can have babies and them things. So we know, do you know what I'm saying? But if you want to be a woman and you think you're a woman, then okay lines are probably getting blurrier as we go on but um, I guess it's it's down to that individual um, so yeah I think that's a, a tough one to, to answer and I think people would have different opinions on it all right well there you have it uh, so uh, kind of a discouraging video uh, if you ask me and I don't know if they actually talked to anyone else who who had a more objective opinion but that's that's pretty pretty significant now before we talk about that video video in particular as well as making comments about some of the other ones I do want to note that this isn't just a cultural issue it's seeping into the church uh, I taught a class some of you actually probably took the class uh, and I taught a class on Christianity and cultural issues in January, and we watched some some videos with on transgenderism and how different individuals are positioning themselves in society to to have the public ear and whatever. And one of the things that I noted was that this isn't just a cultural issue, but that the church also is dealing with this. And there were videos where churches were celebrating, embracing, you know, transgenderism and things like that. And it's pretty sad. Now, when I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago, a, a headline, uh, I noticed a headline that, that came out, uh, just before I came back. And this was kind of discouraging as well. And the headline was church of England refuses to define the word woman. And so there were lots of places where this was reported, but apparently what ended up happening was there was a question and answer to one of the people during the general synod of the Church of England. And the question was, what is the Church of England's definition of a woman? And the bishop who was answering the question basically said that the answer used to be self-evident, but now it's not a simple answer anymore. Uh, the definition of woman uh, is is in flux. There, there's there's no longer a simplicity to it, according to this bishop in the in the Church of England. Now, of course, uh, England is uh, generically more liberal than the United States, but really not by that much. Uh, and even the churches in the United States are often struggling with these issues. And so I I give this as an example. Just because there are many people in the churches themselves who struggle with these issues as well. And so I think it would be wrong just to say, well, this is just a cultural issue and it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter how we in the church are thinking through these issues because we'll always have the right viewpoint, etc. Well, we took that approach in in the gay marriage 
uh, debate, as it were, just thinking, well, the church is always going to be on the right side with this because scripture is very clear. But what ended up happening was there was tremendous inroads made by the LGBT community into the church because the church really had no idea how to deal with these issues from a biblical perspective because the the gay community, LGBT uh, community would really push this mindset of, well, don't you want to be loving? These are real people who need the love of Christ and you're being so hateful and bigoted when you say that they're they're not allowed to express love the way that God created them. And people didn't know how to respond to that kind of argumentation. And so, so these issues did make inroads into the church. And now even the ideas of transgenderism are definitely making inroads. This is viewed ever since the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. Transgenderism has been on the radar to be pushed. And it's a lot harder to push because it really goes against every fiber of your being, what you know to be true. But that's that's okay. They push as hard as they can because they think that through repetition, this this will gain ground and it has. So we need to we need to analyze what the problem is and and instruct those in the church and stand up for the truth in in the culture, right? So I want to very simply just provide just a, a simple analysis of the things that we listen to. Uh, what are what is it that we're seeing? What are the themes that we're we're observing? And then how do we think about this, or how should we talk about it and respond to people in these scenarios? So first, analyzing what the problem was. Uh, one thing that you can observe throughout all of this is a rejection of God and absolute truth. Okay, so this is very, very foundational. Now, some of these people may claim to believe in God, but they believe in a God, and it's a God after their own image and likeness. Okay, the God of the Bible is unique and has absolute authority over creation and has instilled in creation an order and a way of living and doing things. So in order to get to this place, uh, we've seen this, we've noted this before in society, but this is, this is such an important part of the cultural push is a rejection of God and absolute truth. And they really go hand in hand. Uh, truth as an absolute category has been completely rejected and it's been replaced by, quote, your truth. And so uh, what you have, uh, and that even showed up, I, I mentioned that I had watched What is a Woman, that documentary by Matt Walsh, and it, it's, it's, again, cringeworthy that uh, in the interviews that he was conducting with people, they would actually use the, the terminology, your truth. And he would say, well, I don't b- believe there is your truth. I believe there is the truth. And they would, they would say that that's offensive, bigoted, uh, oppressive language. So not only is absolute truth denied, but it's actually viewed as a tool of oppression. You can't claim that there is absolute truth because that is a detrimental, oppressive uh, tool to hurt the LGBT community, to hurt racial minorities, etc., so there's this war against absolute truth. And also what that means is that logic in all of its forms has been abandoned. In other words, it, it literally doesn't matter to people if there are contradictions. So you could, you could tell people, uh, you could tell people that they are completely wrong 
and they can flat out say to your face, well, that's your truth. Um, meaning that, it, it, that you have one version of reality, you have one version of truth, and I have one version of truth. And they can coexist, even though that's a complete contradiction and completely illogical. There are many, many people. That's the majority viewpoint in our culture, which is coming out of the education systems. So there's a rejection of God and absolute truth. Those go hand in hand. That's the Romans one complex where you are rebelling against God, suppressing the truth about God and unrighteousness. And so you are rejecting this absolute standard. Uh, there is no, there is no rule or regulation or standard which you must be aware of or live in accordance with that's rejected. Everything is subjective. And that leads to the second major uh, problem or uh, part of this problem. And that's the ultimate good uh, is the pursuit of pleasure and happiness. So the ultimate good uh, in, in this worldview is the pursuit of pleasure and happiness. And this is so important to recognize. And it was so obvious in that uh, video from the, the Telegraph, uh, the last video that we watched where all these individuals were interviewed. I don't know if you remember, um, you can just uh, rewind and listen to, to listen to that video and <clears throat> notice how many times it was all about, uh, well, somebody can choose that if they want to, if, if that's what they want to do, if that's what makes them happy. If they want to do that, if they choose that, it's all about personal choice and whatever makes you happy, whatever gives you pleasure, that's, that's the greatest good. And so this, this applies to so much more than just the issue that we're talking about. This is a major problem with, uh, with everything. Okay. Because baked into our culture is this idea that the pursuit of pleasure and happiness is the greatest good. But that is a very, very anti-biblical idea. It's very idolatrous uh, because we were created by God to worship him and to serve him. That is our greatest role in being creatures and to bow down and serve the creator. And yet we are, we are being fed this idea in the culture that the greatest thing you can do, the most fulfilling thing you can do is, is pursue your desires, pursue what you want to do. And that is, that's the greatest good. Even in the church, sometimes we, we really mess, mess this up a little bit. And we say things like, well, God wants you to be happy. And so if you want to know how to do God's will, then just follow your heart or follow what you want to do, because he's the one who's given you those desires. Well, it may be that God has given you those desires, but there's actually a lot more involved in that. Uh, you need to be walking faithfully with him. You need to be already fully committed to him. And then your desires become shaped after after God and Christ. And so there is a semblance of truth to that. But a lot of times we just confuse it and jump straight to the desire part when we acknowledge, we need to acknowledge that we're sinners, our desires are bent they are, they are broken, they are perverted, and so just following desires is, is not good. That's very idolatrous. But this is a very strong push in the culture, is that the ultimate good is this self-gratification and happiness. And so notice that that's the undergirding motivation and reasoning behind how these individuals were trying to figure out what is a woman. Notice how the question wasn't 
ever answered in the videos. Well, I, I take that back. There were two people that did at least give a semblance of an answer, but then they, they walked it back. And most people, instead of answering the question, were really focused on, well, whatever makes people happy, that's totally fine. You know, I support, you know, you pursuing happiness. That's uh, the greatest good in, in their mind. So on the one hand, there's a rejection of God, absolute truth. There's also a pursuit of pleasure and happiness as the ultimate good. And then I would say, finally, there, there's other things that go into this too, but I would say just keeping it manageable here, each individual has complete autonomy to pursue what makes them happy. So autonomy is a key defining characteristic as well. Not only is happiness and self-gratification an important the most important component in how to determine what you should do and find fulfillment in life. But along with that, autonomy is is very important. Autonomy meaning that there's there's no external forces which can control you, but you have the right to pursue whatever it is you want. You have that right. Uh, the The phrase that's often used nowadays is sexual autonomy. In other words, you you have sexual freedom. Uh, sexual license to pursue whatever expression of sexuality, whatever act of sexuality you want to. The only caveat, the only caveat that is often thrown out is that you can't hurt somebody else. Uh, So that's why in the sexual realm of sexual pursuit and pleasure and all that, the caveat that's often thrown out there is consent consent is viewed as the only limitation. So you can't pursue your your desires at the expense of somebody else if they don't consent to enjoy that with you. Okay, that's, that's the only caveat. Of course, how that uh, becomes defined becomes very, very difficult in a society where uh, there's all sorts of uh, licentiousness and uh, viewpoint of easy sex and all that stuff. And then people feel after the fact, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, maybe I didn't really consent. Maybe I was forced into that, etc. So it, it is a problematic uh, situation, but I think it's really important to recognize that everyone uh, is view. And we even saw that in the video, right? Because in the video, it says whatever they want. Uh, so whatever is the idea of autonomy, whatever they want is the idea of the pursuit of pleasure. So having the idea of whatever you want goes, well, that's autonomy. And then the, the pleasure idea is whatever you want or desire. So it's, it's important to recognize that these themes are going hand in hand. And this is why we have such a problem is because people are being raised in the culture and even in the church, they are being taught over and over and over by the culture that this is the standard. The standard is happiness. The standard is do what you want. And that is not the biblical picture. And so I think when, when we think about how should we talk about this issue, we, we need to recognize a couple key foundational points. On the one hand, in response to the rejection of absolute truth, we as Christians need to stand up for the fact that there is an absolute truth and it's connected to the creator God. Okay, so it's not enough just to hold to an absolute truth because without God, that standard is very difficult to nail down. It's impossible to nail down. So the only 
thing that we as Christians can do is to show people that absolute truth is tied to the creator God because he himself is the absolute standard. So, and by the way, this is absolutely a gospel issue. So it's, this isn't just something you can compromise on. This is at the very core of what it means to proclaim the gospel to people because the, the essential part of the gospel is that God created a perfect world and as human beings, we have rebelled and sinned against him. And so we need to teach uh, the foundation of repentance to that creator God, submission to him and obedience to him. Those are the key components of, of the gospel is that we, we submit to God. We, we cast ourselves through repentance upon his saving mercies. And he saves us, gives us a new heart, and we are able then to obey him. And so that's a very key component of the gospel message, which, uh, which has been revealed very clearly in Scripture. And so we stand up for this message that there is a creator God. He's designed the world. There is an absolute standard of truth. It's not just your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, whatever. It is absolute truth. It's true no matter whether somebody believes it or not. That's the, uh, that's the idea of absolute truth. And God is the foundation then for logic and morality. There's a reason why something is wrong. There's a reason why murder is wrong because God created human beings in his image. And so we are required to act in a certain way to men, to women, because of that image bearing capacity. So this is a very important thing to stand up for, to, to be telling people. There is an absolute truth, and obviously it's not a popular message, but it's an important message. And so we need to talk uh, very clearly about that. Uh, The second thing we need to really be uh, pushing is that the ultimate good is not found in in happiness or self-gratification, but it's found in repentance and submission to God's design. And that's regardless of how much pleasure you take out of that. Uh, In fact, it's interesting because one thing that <clears throat> is important to understand is that pleasure and happiness are trained attributes. I don't know if you've thought about this before. You probably have. But I think it's important to, to acknowledge that pleasure and happiness are trained attributes. Uh, maybe the easiest way to illustrate that would be working out. Uh, I think some of you are thinking like, what is working out? Well, from what I hear, working out is something that is very difficult to do. Uh, but after you've done it a while, after you've trained yourself to be consistent working out, it's something that actually ends up becoming enjoyable. And it uh, you get an endorphin rush from it. It's, it's literally something that you train your body to take joy out of. Although at first it's not very enjoyable. It's very, you get very sore. It's painful. You can't wake, uh, wake up in the morning, that kind of thing. But eventually it becomes addicting to people uh, because they get such a such a pleasure and a happiness out of that. And so I think that uh, that happens in many things in life. And I'm just pointing that out as an illustration for the fact that uh, there's much more to life than just pursuing those things that make you happy because you can actually train yourself to be happy uh, in a variety of circumstances, in a variety of ways. And so... That's the way God has designed us, is that when when we build habits that are good and godly, we end up taking joy out of those habits. And regardless, the, the foundational point is that if God has given an absolute standard and he's 
revealed what it is we ought to do, regardless of how we feel anyway, regardless of the happiness that we take out of that, it is the ultimate good to follow God's design. That's the foundational point. But I think it's helpful to understand that God also has designed us in such a way, his creation, so that we we can end up taking pleasure in that through the disciplines that we can develop in that. So we want to stand up for the fact that there is an absolute truth, that it's connected to the creator God. We also want to acknowledge that the greatest ultimate good is repentance and submission to God. These are essential messages uh, from the Christian understanding of the world. But then number three, we also want to acknowledge that autonomy is one of the great enemies of God's design. Submission to God needs to be stressed and autonomy needs to be attacked. See, it's, it is very idolatrous to believe that you have the authority or the greatest good to be able to pursue your own desires, whatever you want, right? Autonomy is idolatry. That's what it is. And so that's part of the, the, the goal of the Christian worldview. The need in the Christian worldview is to demonstrate why autonomy leads to devastation, uh, because in the, in the words of the judges, if everyone does what is right in their own eyes, you have a disaster of a society. And so autonomy is terrible and needs to be shown as such. Autonomy is not the way uh, we think through those things. Uh, number four, and this would be the, I mean, there, again, there's other things we could think about, but these are just a couple thoughts as they come to mind, is that the foundation of all of this needs to be scripture. Scripture is the creator's revelation about how he has designed the world, how he expects us to live. Uh, Everything goes back to scripture because uh, if there is a creator God, he reveals himself. He needs to reveal himself in order for us to know him. And God has done that through scripture. And so we as Christians should not be ashamed to point people to scripture. That's essential. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, again, it goes back to it doesn't matter whether you believe the Bible or not. The question is whether or not the Bible is true, right? And the Bible is true. And so it doesn't matter whether you believe in gravity or not. You, The way you live, you're going to experience gravity. That's part of life. And so we acknowledge that truth and we need to point people to that reality. There is a creator God. He has instilled an absolute truth. He's revealed that absolute truth in Scripture. And that absolute truth includes the need to repent and submit to God's will. And the revelation that God has given completely and utterly destroys this idea of autonomy, where we have uh, the, the freedom to pursue whatever it is we want. No, that's not at all what uh, God has revealed. So notice that <clears throat> when people are being interviewed about what it is that makes someone a woman, there's actually a whole worldview that goes behind those issues. There's actually a whole worldview that informs their answer and how they think about those things. And when the average person is is thinking through this issue, they're thinking about, well, whatever it is that makes people happy, whatever it is, as long as it doesn't uh, hurt other people, they can do that because autonomy is the name of the game. Happiness is the ultimate pursuit. Uh, There is no absolute truth and there is no God, or at least no God that fits with the definition of the Bible. So those are the key foundational elements of, of these 
anti-God secular worldviews. And so we need to recognize that and and meet people at those points. We need to address those from, from a biblical worldview, showing how they've been led astray and, and begging them to repent, showing them that there is hope uh, in the gospel. Now, to, to wrap it up, I, I want to say just a few things on parenting in this crazy culture because yeah, it's on my mind with having having kids, and I think it's uh, I think it's really important to think through this issue a lot. Is raising kids in this crazy culture um, the key? Really, is to drill into kids to remind them constantly that it doesn't matter how they feel; it matters what is right, true, and good. So, for example, you know, my kids, everybody else's kids. They, they have this saying that they like to use and it's, I don't want to do it or I don't want to do that. You know, sometimes like I'll ask, you know, one of our children to clean their room and sometimes the response is, I don't want to. And so what we as parents instill in our kids is it doesn't matter what you want. What matters is doing what's right. That is foundational. And we have entire generations that have lost sight of this very basic principle is that there are there there is a standard which we must act in accordance with. And we reject we reject feelings when our feelings go against that standard. So it doesn't matter what you feel like. There is an objective truth. That's what kids need to understand. And along with that. Kids need to learn about authority early on from parents because that teaches them about God's authority and creation. Uh, one of the things that we try to teach our kids is that God has given you, your parents, as authority to, to help you, to guide you, to teach you uh, about God himself. And so if kids don't learn to obey the authorities that are their parents, they're never going to recognize God as the ultimate authority, and they're never going to recognize the need to submit to him. And so this is a very important process, especially in our deviant culture, is is we really need to drill this, drill this into our families, is that there is an absolute standard. Uh, if the kid feels like not obeying his parents, well, that's not okay. It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is what's right, and we do what's right. That is so important. And then also just recognizing that there is authority in life and God has designed it that way. And God, of course, is the ultimate authority. And so he has the right uh, to, to dictate to his creatures what it is they are to do. So Christians need to be ambassadors on this issue. We, we, we are examples in our, in our uh, work circles. We are examples in society. Our families are examples, even in, in the beha- behavior that our families give, our personal behavior. We are ambassadors of the truth, and we stand up for the truth. We uh, Can you just imagine what it would be like to live in a secular worldview where you had no hope, there was no standard? That would just be so frustrating, and people are frustrated by that. That's why whenever these kinds of cycles go, uh, there are problems and people revert to uh, things like Islam. That's one of the things when ISIS went on its uh, run a couple of years ago, that's one of the things that people observed is that many people from the Western cultures were were converting to Islam and to ISIS specifically because they really longed 
for the absolute assurity of of a worldview that gave gave structure and authority instead of just being able to pursue all of the things that they wanted because that's that's a very unfulfilling worldview to pursue what it is you desire uh, and what it is you want. So I think that's very important. So we started the episode with the question, what is a woman? Uh, but it's really a jumping off point to talk about what it is we're seeing in, in the world around us, in the secular world, what it is, is their worldview. And, but I did want to just answer it. What is a woman? Well, it's an adult female. Okay. So that's, that's the way God has designed it. A woman is an adult female. And there you have the answer. And you know that because that's the way God has designed the world. All right. If this is helpful, I am glad. If not, you can just uh, block me or uh, pray in precatory psalms against me or something like that. As always, you can reach out to me through the contact form on my website, petergaiman.com. If you want more information about me, you can check out the website there. If you want more information on the seminary where I teach, you can visit shepherds.edu. The semester is starting in about a week and a half. And so you could jump in on uh, some classes if you're, if you're interested in that. Uh, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.